ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وسلم تسليما كثيرا اما بعد فان خير الكلام كلام الله تعالى وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه واله وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار اما بعد الله سبحانه وتعالى تنزل عند القران سوره الشمس ونفس وما سواها فالهمها فجورها وتقواها قد افلح من زكاها وقد خاب من دساها so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing he's taking an oath by a nafs and we'll talk about that in detail and the fact that he has calibrated he has created the nafs and he has made it in a delicate way at the swear and then he inspired in it good and evil and then he said indeed successful is the one who makes tazkiyah intentionally i'm not going to translate this because i want to talk about it in detail and he is a failure you are a failure if you hide or conceal your nafs These verses that sure many of us know and memorize have actually a solution for a big big problem which is a problem of the self. And before we start when we say nafs, people try and translate the word nafs. And some people might say well it's a soul. But the soul is not a correct translation. A uh, soul is like ruh, right? And some people say well nafs is the self the self but that's also have it has some negative connotations because it is close to selfish and implies lots of attention to the ego and to your own selfish needs and that's not what is meant here and i find maybe a better translation is to say that nafs is our inner nature Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created that within us and this is our inner nature. Now, this inner nature is as I said very delicate. It's balanced or supposed to be balanced and any time we lose the balance or we have an imbalance, we get a pathology, we get a problem. Not only that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he has embedded in that soul I should say soul in that nafs he has embedded in that inner nature both good and evil so it is a mistake to pretend that you don't have an evil side that you don't have a shadow in fact it leads to to many kinds of pathologies to deny the fact that you can commit evil or that you have the potential to commit evil and we see a lot of people fall into that trap and that is what we call self righteousness 
People thinking that they're not capable of committing any evil. And these are the people who fall into evil. And they're blind, they cannot see it. Because they don't believe they can commit evil. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us that in that nafs that we all have, there's a potential for good and evil. And it does, it does us no good to deny it. Okay. So this is the nature of the nafs. Now, what is our job? What is our homework? Well, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents us with two, uh, you know, actions, if you will. And you cannot separate the two. So he said, in order to be successful, you have to do something called tazkiyah. And in order to avoid failure, you have to do, or you have to avoid tazkiyah. So one common mistake we see a lot is that people so, you know, focus so much on tazkiyah. You can attend lectures, you go to conventions and seminars, it's all focused on tazkiyah. We don't hear many people talk about tadsiyah, which is the opposite of tazkiyah. If it wasn't important, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention it? It's like a pair. We cannot just focus on tazkiyah and ignore tadsiyah. You cannot have tazkiyah if you don't work on tazkiyah. So those two concepts we have to keep in mind and we cannot separate them. We have to understand both of them. Now when it comes to tazkiyah, tazkiyah itself has two components. And this is mentioned by many, many scholars. And it's not rocket science. You just go back to the original meaning of the word zakkah in Arabic. And zakka revolves around two concepts. One is purification, and the other one is growth. This is why we have the word zakat. We all know zakat. Zakat is the mandatory charity. But why is it called zakat? Well, because zakat has two purposes. It is supposed to purify your money, because we all make mistakes. When we make money, we make mistakes. We might have gotten some money illegally. Uh, we might have worked less than we put on the, on the sheet, on the punch card. And there are all kinds of possibilities where we make mistakes. So we need to purify first. But the other reason we call zakat zakat is because we know charity grows our money. So that's the other meaning of zakat. So tazkiyah revolves around these two concepts, purification and growth. Just like we do for the money, we do for our inner nature. We want to purify our nature and we want to grow it. And nowadays we hear a lot about this concept, like in psychology and self-help, we, we hear of the concepts of growth and self-actualization. You want to grow to your potential. So everybody has realized that we're not at our potential, where we can be. And we can use our life to grow and, and nourish ourselves in order to get there. Now, why is it important to put purification before growth? Actually, it's a very simple concept. And, and Muslim scholars have talked about this quite a bit. And they have a principle called that you're supposed to clean before you beautify. It does not make sense anyways. 
And we have many examples around us. Like you don't go to your house, you got stuff all over the floor. And you're trying to beautify the house. You're trying to put these nice pictures on the wall. But the house is a mess. No one would like that. You need to clean before you beautify. That is important. If you are all sweaty, you know, you smell, and try and put cologne, it doesn't work. You might smell worse. You need to take a shower. First you go take a shower, you clean up, and then you put the cologne. You have rust on, on your uh, metal, on a window. You don't just paint over it. You have to scrape the rust. You have to clean it up first. And then you paint. So this is a concept we are familiar with. All around us we know that we have to clean, cleanse, purify before we beautify. And the same thing applies to our inner nature. We have to do that. We have to purify first and then we beautify. Now, you probably know that we pay a lot of attention to good deeds. And we think good deeds will fix everything. So, of course, when it comes to spiritual life, there's nothing tangible necessarily that you could see. But the same concept, concept applies. Think of sins as the rust. And think of good deeds as the paint or the nice picture on the wall. And what do we do? We do the opposite. We're always trying to hide our mistakes. We don't try to cleanse them. We don't, we don't try to scrape them. We just want to cover them so we look good in front of people. But that's not the solution. It doesn't help. You're just covering the symptoms. But you're not solving the problem. And this is why we need to look closely at the concept of tetsia. What does it mean? When, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا And the one who covers the self, the inner being, the inner nature, then they are a failure. Why is that? And what are we covering anyways? Well, here's the other principle. Sins, in general, what they do, they repress your inner nature. They suppress it. They inhibit it. It's like a good force that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala implanted in all of us. And when we sin, what happens, and a lot of times we, we don't see it, we ignore it. Uh, and we, you know, we brush it off. We don't think it's a big deal. But what's happening, those sins will pile up and they will repress, they will inhibit our good nature. See, the good nature, it doesn't take a lot of propelling. All we need to do is get out of the way. And our good nature will sprout. And that is really important in, in, in Islam. And this is why when you read in the Quran and Sunnah, you see that this concept is repeated over and over again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to remind us that, hey, you're not paying attention to the right thing. You're paying attention to the wrong thing. Pay attention to the sins you're doing. And if you did some cleansing, you'll be able to flourish far better and much faster than you know, trying to do good deeds and trying to compensate for the guilt you feel inside, but you never try and solve the problem you have. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, 
كلا بل ران على قلوبهم ما كانوا يكسبون nay indeed there's some rain rain in arabic is like rust in english it says in this ayah that this rust has been piling up on their hearts ran ala qulubihim bima kanu yaksibun because of what they have committed the kind of sins they have committed now what happened there's rust all over the heart In fact, in the hadith, it tells us about the process. It's not just one time. It says in the hadith, it says that every time you commit a sin, there's a dot. It's only one dot. So think of one dot of rust. Just like you look at some, you know, uh, metal structure. In the beginning, you, you notice some spottiness. You see, you see spots of rust. It doesn't get rusty all of a sudden. You start seeing these spots. You can ignore them. It's easy to fix, but you say it's not a big deal. And then these spots get bigger and bigger. And now when you want to fix it, it takes much more time and effort and money. And you have to get deeper. You have to, you know, get in a little deeper and clean it up further. So it's much more, you know, uh, time consuming and, and money consuming as well. So if you don't pay attention to these spots, you're going to have bigger spots. And then you're going to have a rain, which is like a layer now. It's no longer a spot. Now it's a layer of rust. Until you get the advanced stages, where it's a complete cover. It's no longer even a layer. It's a complete cover around the heart. So the nafs, this inner being, this inner nature, which has so much good in it, now it's been completely sealed off. It's concealed. It's hidden from you. You don't even notice anymore. And you wonder, I read Quran, I don't feel anything. I pray, I, I, don't, I don't have the khushur. I can't find any tears in my eyes. And you wonder why. There are many types of sins that we ignore that could be contributing to this spottiness and eventual cover or seal. I'll maybe mention some examples. One of the common issues is the tongue. The tongue has many, many sins associated with it. The reason I, I mention it for two reasons. One is because it is mentioned so much in the, in the sunnah that you have to be careful what you say. And it's because it is easy. It's not so hard to, uh, you know, work on it and improve. And the sins of the tongue are innumerable. Telling lies, backbiting, slander, mocking. I mean, think about it. Backbiting is not so hard to stop. But it's so common, so rampant. Many people involved in it. And just to give you an idea, and this is a concept that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to implant in his companions. One time, a woman came to visit Aisha anha, And the woman happened to be small, to be short, rather. Aisha did not speak a word, but she made a little gesture like she is short. And the Prophet ﷺ got angry and he said, لَقَدْ قُلْتِ كَلِمَةً لو مزجت بماء البحر لمزجته 
Aisha again, remember, she did not say a word. But the Prophet ﷺ interpreted that gesture, that action, as a word. Because, you know, the gesture is another way to express yourself. So let, let us not kid ourselves, as we do sometimes. So the Prophet said ﷺ to Aisha, you have said a word. And that word is so evil. If it were to mix with the sea, it would corrupt the whole sea. Imagine one drop can corrupt the entire sea. And it's exactly what we're talking about. You may have a sea of good deeds. And then one word you did not pay attention to. And we know in the other hadith, you say a word you don't pay attention to, it could be the cause for a fall in the hellfire. And again, this is not something necessary. You don't say, well, I'm compelled to do it or there's a necessity, there's a need. There's absolutely no need whatsoever to backbite anyone. Absolutely not. And train yourself. Don't say, well, he's fasak, so I can backbite him. And he's a sinner, I can backbite him. Clean your tongue from backbiting because it's so hard to draw a line. Once you get used to it, there's no stopping of it. But that's a good, good example of how one sin can corrupt your good actions. And now you're adding a spot on your heart. And it's preventing your good nature from coming out. So that's, I mean, you're paying a price. Don't think, well, you're scoring against this person. You're not. You're actually, you're, what you're doing, you're harming yourself. That's all you're doing. Another good example is eating halal. And some people think eating halal is just like going to a halal restaurant. I'm not talking about that. How you, how you earn your money? Are you earning, earning it in a halal way? Are you ripping someone off? Are you cheating? Again, the Prophet ﷺ told us, when you have a transaction, it says, فَإِن بَيَّنَا if you are clear in the beginning, you're not trying to hide any defect. You're selling any merchandise. And you are very clear from the beginning. If there's a defect, you clarify it. You tell it. You say it. He said, if you do that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put barakah, will put blessing in your transaction. And if you don't, muhiqa, it says like the barakah will be canceled. It will be erased. That's a mahaq. Mahaq is like, uh, you know, uh, total uh, erasing of that barakah. And if you examine how early Muslims were, because it's all about priorities. When you examine the early Muslims, you'd notice right away that they paid much more attention on staying away from sins more than doing good deeds. And it's a common trend. It's a pattern. You notice, for example, some companions. The Prophet would announce that this companion is from Ahlul Jannah. And they would keep examining this man, his habits. He doesn't pray too much at night. He's not giving charity left and right. But then they notice something subtle. This man has never said anything bad about any Muslim or anyone. Or this man sleeps and his heart is clean. He doesn't have any hatred. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any envy or jealousy, which is eating us. And I have to be very, very honest. Jealousy is a big one. It's, it's, you know, it can come and eat your heart out. It will kill you alive. 
And it is a sin, by the way. In a way, you're kind of rejecting Allah's decree. Oh, he gave him more than he gave me. And by the way, most of the time, it's not true. It's just that you're not able to see everything. There's also a seal on your eyes. So the idea here, which is really, really important, is that our potential of growth is repressed by our sins. We are doing ourselves a, a disfavor or harming ourselves when we commit those sins. Mocking is another common one. Bullying, I mean, we can go on and on. And these are totally unnecessary. Again, we're not talking about a necessary case, oh, I have to do this or I have to eat this because I have no options. Or I have to do this job because I have no other job. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that you can easily avoid. You don't have to like, make fun of anybody. You don't have to mock someone. Why is that important for you? Does that make you feel better? Are you that defective? Are, are you, do you lack this much confidence in yourself? Are you that vulnerable that you have, you have the need to mock someone else? Or to poke fun at someone? Maybe they're handicapped. Maybe, maybe uh, they're not able to speak properly. All kinds of stuff. And what's worse, we see adults condoning this act. They see small kids doing it. And they condone it. And they laugh at it. And then we wonder, oh, how come I don't feel any uh, spirituality? I read the Quran, I don't, I don't feel anything. Uh, like my heart is like a rock. Uh, that's why. I mean, that's a good, I mean, a good reason. Inshallah, when we're able to combine the concept of Tazkiyah and the concept of Tetziyah, so we know that sins are repressing our nature, our good nature. And we work on trying to avoid as much sins as possible. Now we're going to see some clarity. Now we are cleansing our hearts. And we're able to see, I mean, initially you might see a little bit, it's going to be blurry, but eventually it's going to be crystal clear. At least, at least that's the objective. And then you'll be able to grow and flourish. And in modern terms, you're going to be able to uh, self-actualize. You become your potential. You reach your goal. You reach your potential as a human being. So maybe let me summarize what we talked about so far. Since we do are concealing our hearts, our inner nature, they're inhibiting our nafs. They are suppressing our inner nature. Once we remove this layer of rust, we release our inner nature. We release our potential then we don't have to work as hard. You just let your good nature do the work. See, now we have to force ourselves to do good deeds. And you see it a lot among, you know, youth, among adults. 
the rituals and religion has become a burden almost. Like we have, we have to do it because we have to. And we, you know, as soon as we do it, it's off our back. That's how we perceive it, at least. So, so now we have to force ourselves to do good deeds. We don't find the drive to do them. We do them because we have to. But once you remove the layer of sin, your inner nature becomes the force. Good deeds are no longer difficult to do. Let me conclude with this verse in the Quran, and I think that uh, lays it all out. And like I always say, there's no coincidence in the Quran. The fact that you have verses in a certain order is for a reason. So remember, I started by quoting from Surah Al-Shams. If we go to Surah Al-A'la, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also talks about tazkiyah. But He talks about it differently. What He said there, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّى وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى So you wonder about this order. He said, indeed, successful is the one who, who does tazkiyah. So that is similar to Surah Al-Shams. Similar. But then he said, And he mentioned the name of his Lord and he prayed. Isn't that telling us that once we do tazkiyah, then dhikr and salat become so easy, become second, second nature. So it's as if a condition exists before we can enjoy the prayer, before we can enjoy the dhikr. And that is Tazkiyah. So once we do Tazkiyah, which is working on our problems, defects, and try and you know, reduce them as much as possible, then Dhikr and Salat, which are very good examples of worship, very good examples of good deeds, they become second nature. They flow, just like the, you know, this ayah flows. You recite it, you don't, you, know, you don't feel it. It's so easy flowing. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ there's only wow connecting. So it's so easy. It comes naturally. And this is really the concept I want to leave you with. Once we do our homework of Tazkiyah and of avoiding Tetsiyah, the opposite, then good deeds become easy. They become uh, second nature. We don't have to uh, quarrel with them. We don't have to uh, convince ourselves that we have to do them. We want to do them. We go after them. And this is exactly what the Sahaba felt. They did not have to be pushed to pray Salat. They did not have to be reminded. They did not have to set alarms. They did not have to have their parents or their kids or their siblings, uh, you, know, uh, you know, force them or threaten them as we do sometimes. Like, you don't, you don't pray, I'm going to take your allowance away. None of that existed. And I think this is, you know, uh, you know, it's a win-win situation, as we say today. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the strength and the power to uh, commit to uh, removing uh, the rust, removing a rain, to remove the tetsiyah process, and to replace it with the tezkiyah process, to be able to purify and to grow ourselves, our hearts, and to uh, grow our potential because all of us, and that's a great promise we have, that all of us, each one of us, has a great promise within us. 
It's all in here. You don't have to search outside. It's all in here. You just have to find it. And that's why, I mean, again, in, in modern psychology, they say that it's not about uh, you know, uh, forcing something on you. It's rather discovering what you have in you. And that's exactly the Islamic uh, concept. That you just have to remove all the, you know, the rust and the blurriness and all of that, and you find yourself. And you let yourself flourish and grow. And it becomes a, you know, an, almost an autonomous process. Just don't stand in the way. Allahumma rabbana la ta'ala fi hadhi al-yawm al-azim dhamban illa ghafartah wa la hamman illa farajtah wa ladaynan illa qadaytah wa la aduwan illa hazantahu qasamtah wa la hajatan hiya laka rida wa lana fiha salah illa qadaytaha lana wa yassartaha lana ya arhamar rahimin Allahumma surman nasara deena muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam waj'alna minhum Allahumma rabbana arina al-haqqa haqqan wa rizukna tibaah wa arina al-batila batilan wa rizukna ishtinaba Allahumma rabbana alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana wa zidna ya rabbana alma na'udhu billahi min hali ahli nar inna Allah ya'mur bil'adhi bil'ihsan wa ita'i bil'qurba وينهار الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون وأقم الصلاة